0: With four days left to my deadline, um, I got a text from a cousin out in the West Coast who had worked on our farm for years. And he said, hey, I just interviewed with this company called Steward. They make um, capital available to regenerative farms. Do you want to talk to them about anything? And he knew nothing of this project. And I said, damn it, I have just the thing.
1: choosing to farm a podcast for first and returning generation livestock farmers and ranchers to share their stories find connection and provide insight into the life of farmers who didn't take the traditional path i'm your host jen colby folks this is jen thanks for joining um this week i'd love to encourage you if you're enjoying the podcast to like it share it subscribe review do all kinds of things send me emails um and or all of those things and also support it on patreon would be great if you're up for doing that you can do all of those things through the choosing to farm.com web page thank you So today is our um, second half of my conversation with Jesse McDougall. Um, I just wanted to remind you, if you haven't listened to the first one, and you can listen to them independently, that's fine. Um, But if you have not listened to the first one, I had some tech issues, so occasionally you'll hear a little bubbling noise. Um, That was my microphone, which was um, only sort of on. So anyway, tech issues, um, but please forgive. So this conversation has a lot to do with um, funding land access, um, how Jesse got some expansion opportunities and was able to um, access that land through um, an unconventional funding opportunity, uh, which is pretty neat. I think other folks might enjoy listening to that as well. Um, We also talk about some of the wider system level stuff that needs um, to support farms being able to be successful. So we talk about processing, um, a tannery distribution, some other things. And we ultimately talk about climate change, um, as well. So we go a little bit bigger than just the choosing to farm side in this, um, second half of the conversation, but I know that you'll enjoy it just as I did. So here's Jesse.
0: Um, you know, we had like a 10 year plan to get the sheep to support themselves, you know, and, and that was based on the meat sales, and then we were like, well, you know what? All those sheepskins are going out the back of the meat plant, and um, there's probably some value there. We should look at. So we we started collecting our own sheepskins, okay. and then we started um, buying bags of sheepskins out of the plant from other other plants for five bucks, because then the you know the meat plant didn't have to pay to get it rendered down. Um, And we sent those to the tannery up in Randolph, the Vermont natural sheepskins company started by um, Sarah Scully, who was a a genius and a, and a, um, a great person. And, and we would get those tanned up. And then we had all of a sudden, instead of $300 of meat per lamb, we had $600 of meat and skin per lamb. And that, you know, was a surprise to us, but it worked. And um, so that, kind of accelerated us from a 10-year plan to a five-year plan and it was that but it was holistic management i will give credit to like where are the opportunities here where are what are we missing in this whole plan in the sheep enterprise that we're not capitalizing on like what are we producing where are they going and what can we recapture and sheepskins was obvious and now sarah scully um listed that business Vermont Natural Sheepskins for sale a few years ago. And we got some partners together and we bought it with RFN. Um so now we're we actually are running the tannery.
1: I had no idea that you guys are running the tannery. I knew I had gone to Southern Vermont. I did not know that yeah
0: no we we bought it um and brought it down to Manchester, Vermont and and just it took a year <clears throat> to move it and rebuild it and I mean, Sarah left it in left it in great, uh, booming condition with all great equipment and great clients, customer lists. Um, but it took us a year to move it and start it back up and find the right tannery manager, who we did, named Derek Anderson, and he's a, also a wizard, um, a guy who was tanning sheepskins in his college dorm room. You know, how do you find how do you find that guy? find that guy oh my gosh I, I don't know you know vermont's not, a small I mean, it's a small state Wow. <laughs> so we moved the tannery actually to manchester because he lives nearby so oh. um anyway um that that um that's a good example of how laying it all out and mapping it you can you can identify some opportunities that are not obvious, you know, in the day-to-day, but pretty obvious when you look at the whole system. And now um, we're getting into even more of that. We're getting into like bone broth and pet food and trying to make use of the entire, make use of all the value we're raising on the farm and not just our farm, every farm. You know, we want Southshire Meats and RFN to be able to, give the farmers as heavy a check as possible. You know, don't just pay them for the meat that's walking off the trailer or the, you know, broccoli florets that people eat, you know, use the whole crop. You're producing a lot of value that just goes to waste. Even if it's just compost that we're producing, you know, you know, so like in animal agriculture, we're, we're doing, let's just say lamb. Cause I'm most familiar with that. We're doing, The sheepskins, which are selling online to, you know, San Francisco, the Bay Area, New York, Connecticut, it's hard for us to keep those in stock on the website. They sell out really quickly and we have a waiting list a mile long, which is great. And one of the reasons is they are raised in a regenerating ecosystem. You know, that is a big draw for people who want to have animal products um, that are good for the environment. And that's a new thing, you know, in the marketplace, not a new thing in the world, but it's a new thing in the marketplace. Um, So um, we're trying to to not just capitalize on that ourselves, as Studio Hill, but build a network of producers through the region, meaning the Northeastern US, and we're starting in Vermont, who can produce verified regenerative products Because right now we're finding that the demand for it really outpaces supply. You know, there are food companies, there are home goods companies like um, Timberland, you know, for example, really wants to make leather boots. But the leather they've been sourcing, because it's the only thing available, is really hard to defend in the marketplace for good reason. Um, But if they get verified, regenerative pasture-raised leather, they can defend it and say, listen, we're sequestering carbon with our boots. We are improving bird habitat with our boots. We are creating more life on this planet with our boots. Um, It's more defensible, you know, and, and and people could feel how they want to about killing animals for food and products. And that's a personal choice, but, um, um, but then if we can create a network of these farms producing throughout this region, we can regenerate our natural resources in the region. We can bring that money into this region and be one of the first regions in the country and world that is, has created a steady supply of this into the, into the global market. Um, there are some good examples around the globe of where it's happening. I know a good friend of mine in South Africa is building a network of these communities who are teaming together to regenerate some of the worst land in South Africa and selling the wool they create on some of the highest prices in the world um, and just building schools and digging wells and actually moving the needle for, for communities that have been... Um, just struggling for so long for so many reasons because the traditional system doesn't help them um, and I feel like there's this slim window right now where we can slip in and build it and then start supplying this stuff out as a co-op like a collaborative effort through the region and RFN is trying to build that that the infrastructure that allows that to happen um, you know we don't want to build a food system and own a food system we want to build a food system to enable a food system with local regional control and and um, um we just want to see it happen so that all to say so that one day studio hill as a farm can farm sell our products and go back to farming and sustain the land and the, and the jobs and And other farms can do that as well without having to juggle all these balls in the air. Cause that's the dream. It's like, I just want to farm. I want to be on the land. I want to move sheep. I love my flock. I love my Hills. I want to be there. And um, in order for that to be possible, a lot has to change. And we're trying, we're, we're trying. So I am now a desk jockey again, in front of a zoom screen all day. (laughs) but it's now <laughs> um, for, a, for a more compelling reason than just trying to buy Red Bulls and McDonald's. So, um, <laughs> so I, I do feel better about it.
1: Oh, good. Well, I hope so, because you certainly should. Um, Thank you. So, so I have just, I recognize we've had a lovely, lovely chat. Um, I, have, I have two more questions. One is about So not only the expansion of the farm expansion of other businesses too, you've done some really interesting stuff on the financing and the fundraising side. And I wondered if you just talk a little bit more about that, because I'm just thinking a lot about folks who are trying to buy a farm. Yeah. Who know land access, what that's like. I mean, you guys were in this situation that you were in, which is a little different than some other folks coming onto a farm, but How have you, you haven't, you haven't entirely bootstrapped it. You've done some other really creative things that are out there.
0: What what else have you done to sort of. That's true. And I, I should say as a base, we didn't have to buy the farm that we're on and that is, and we didn't have to buy it from the next generation above us either. And we're very grateful for that. That day may come, but it wasn't in our generation. Um, and we're very cognizant of that fact and, and, and grateful for that. Um, we do lease it, but you know, for a family rate. So it's, we have that going for us. Um, doesn't mean we were flush with cash and working capital and all these things. We just didn't have to buy it. So yeah, we had to bootstrap a lot, but when it came time to grow and expand and find other money, um none we were we well there are let me think there are the most um uh interesting example I think of this is uh we have expanded the footprint of the family farm now by seventy-five acres of abutting land. Um, which fell in our laps, like we were. We were, I was um called by my neighbor one day to the north of the farm, and he said, That's it, I've had enough of Vermont, I can't do another winter. You mentioned years ago that you'd like to hear if we were selling. Um, do you want to make an offer? And you know, it's a beautiful hilltop property with a rather large house on it. And I knew I couldn't afford it. I had $18 in my savings account. And, and um, I, but I didn't say no. I said, "Um, how much time will you give me to figure this out? And he said, well, I'll give you a month before I put it on the market to make me a a good offer. And I said, I thanked him. I I was really generous of him. And I appreciated that. And my head was reeling from that. And I go and I sit down at my desk and um, as I'm trying to figure out how to move forward, I get an email from my neighbor to the south, and he says, "You know, I said I'd never sell this land, but um, I'm, getting, I'm getting offers sight unseen from people in Connecticut." This was during the COVID flight, you know, from the from the cities. You mentioned to me years ago that you were interested if I was selling. Do you want to make me an offer? I was like oh, how much time do I have? <laughs> and he said, well, uh, you know, he was more flexible. He, he, he wasn't in such a rush to sell. But, um, but then like, the, I remember it was a Thursday. It was a Thursday afternoon and I was just sitting there and my mind was shattered and I was like, well, the universe is telling me something here. <laughs> you know, this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. You know, land doesn't come up for sale abutting your farm very often and so um you know traditional lending doesn't love farms doesn't love small farms as everybody knows the usda has some programs but um um, we had pursued those in the past unsuccessfully and and a lot of them had matching requirements fund you know fund matching requirements and we didn't have the funds to match it so what I did was I wrote a business plan based on our Airbnb Farm stay success, which has been growing steadily. And I included a little bit about the livestock and the in there, but not much because I didn't want to scare the banks away from, from <laughs> us, you know. And and so I, I shopped that around to the banks I had a relationship with. Just like, you know, where where I had that $18 in my savings account, you know, I call, I called them um i was speaking with two banks and one dropped out early and then the 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 second bank saying we don't fund farms that's what they said and and then the second bank that i talked to didn't quite say that but you know and they were very very polite enthusiastic helpful came and toured the farm and everything and 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 saw the properties and took a month to do it, you know, like we had, it was actually 26 days of working with that bank until finally they sent it to their underwriters and the underwriter said, nope, we don't fund farms. So with four days left to my deadline, um, I got a text from a cousin out in the West coast who had worked on our farm for years. And he said, Hey, I just interviewed with this company called steward. They make um, capital available to regenerative farms. Do you want to talk to them about anything? And he knew nothing of this project. And I said, damn it, I have just the thing. And, and I sat down and I put, put the livestock operation back into the, I mean, into the business plan and, and showed very clearly that we could double our livestock operation with these new grazing acres. And, and how much more regeneration you could do. And, and cause it was conventionally managed land we'd be taking over and I sent it to steward and they looked at it and they said, this would be the biggest project we've ever done, but it's great. It makes sense. Let's try, you know? And, and so they at least gave me a, uh, they gave me a, they wrote me a letter and said, yep, make your offer we'll back it. And so I made my offer and, and offers they were accepted. And, and we um, got a bridge loan from Stewart for the, for the amount we needed to close. Um, And so it all happened real fast in August and I was kind of bewildered and there was a lot of, a lot of tears in the family when we got the phone call that we, that it worked. And um, my wife's uncle, Jim, who you know, old dairy man, longtime farmer, farming since his whole life, couldn't believe anybody would come and help us. He was just flabbergasted that there was money out there to do this for a farm. And um he looked at me in the eyes, he said, Jesse, I don't know what kind of fancy footwork you did to make this happen, but thank you. Well, could have had a could have had a disaster up there. Because you know, as you know <laughs> land land is going fast and it is going to second homeowners and it's going to developers and it's it's not often staying in farming and but we were with Stewart's help, we were able to swoop in and, and get it before that happened and and um and what I find most interesting about that story is had we not been regenerating the ecosystem, had we not had the track record of um of you know m- um, bringing life back to the land and building topsoil and cleaning water and and restoring habitats, money would not have been available for us anywhere you know, we would have been turned down by everybody and and it is right now very interesting that there is a lot of money um out there for ecosystem regeneration. It's money that used to go into renewable energy. It's money that used to go into um, conservation. It's money that used to go into all these all these other places that is now becoming aware of ecosystem regeneration through agriculture. Um, and, 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 you know, there are these, I'm learning, and this is all new to me, but I'm learning that there are giant clouds of money out there in these retirement funds that, you know, that states and cities run and just giant pools of money that are not owned really by anybody, but managed by a few people and a board. And they decide we need to spend 5% of this fund this year on or invest 5% of this fund this year on quote unquote, feel good projects, right? Like environment, social good, hunger. um and if you add up all the percentages from just a few of these funds, you see that very quickly there's billions of dollars slated to come down into this stuff now. And if you have the plan, you have the track record, you have the team, you, you can get access to it. Um, so, and Stewart is one way that it's, you know, steward is one path. That, that farmers can go to and reach out and say, listen, I need help. I need, I need to buy my neighbor before they sell their developer, or I need chicken processing equipment, or I need a new tractor, or I need, you know, this or that. And, and what steward does, which is really interesting is they, they, they give you the bridge loan if you need it. And that's a six month deal, right? And during that six months, before you have to pay back the bridge loan, they're building you a public participated loan campaign. So it looks like GoFundMe. It looks like Kickstarter. It looks like that kind of campaign when at the, on the face of it. But it's not a donation. It's not an uh, equity, right? It's just a loan that people make. So basically, they are reselling their big loan into smaller pieces out to the general public so that if you or I or, or um, people who have money sitting in a savings account want that money to be regenerating land, want that money to be at work and earning a good interest rate, they can buy up 500, 5,000, $10,000 of a loan made through the steward platform and then get interest on that for the next X number of years, six or seven years. Um, so Stuart and their CEO, Dan Miller realized that there's a lot of interest right now in regenerating the world and there's no real good place for people with extra money laying around to put it directly to regenerate, you know, to, to get involved. So we built the system for people to do that. And now he is like connecting, he and his team, which are wonderful, are connecting um, farmers and projects up with this network of people. Um, so that's where we are right now. It's the biggest project they've ever done. We are um, the campaign is for one point four million dollars because land ain't cheap, <laughs> right? No, nope. land ain't cheap, and um, and but our business plan shows with the with the model that we have the the livestock expansion the airbnb expansion we can cover it all and pay it off and i'm terrified most nights at three in the morning thinking about that but i have faith that we can do it all the numbers work and there's there's cushion and there's wiggle room and there you know and Stuart has been great to work with um but i find it uh um so where we are now is we're we're in that participated loan campaign Um, and we're selling off pieces of that bigger loan and we're about 30% of the way there. And it's been huge. It's been an incredible experience, not only because people are lending their money to watch, to help Studio Hill grow and expand our, you know, regeneration efforts and all that, but also the notes that people are sending in are so heartwarming and, and it, you know, Callie and I read them every night together when, you know, the kids are in bed and, and it just brings tears to our eyes to see people from all over the world who we've never heard of. Um, they watch the video, they read the project, they believe in what we're doing and they extend some, some of their resources in our direction and, and it means a lot and it's very, very touching. Um, and that's, you know, we didn't use Steward to fund RFN and Southshire Meats, but it's kind of the same deal. Like, um, it's also kind of a funny story. I was, you know, never intending to do this. You know, I was (laughs) a bitter farmer staying in a hayfield complaining about what we needed in this area just like so many of us. Because people would ask, what, what what would happen there was people would ask, they'd say, I'd walk them around the farm and I'd show them the regeneration and how our production is increasing and and how our, you know, the the positive feedback loop is is on the move in the right direction. And they would look at me, they'd shake their head and be like, why isn't everybody doing this? You know, why is not every farm doing this? And I was like, and the question is always the same. It's like, well, you can't. Not every farm, you can't do this. Like, it doesn't work. Because, you know, you can't process animals anywhere. You know, there's, there's not here. You can't sell them anywhere. It doesn't work. Um, and then they would look at me and be like, how are you doing it? It's like, I don't know, I'm just doing it. Um, but, but I was invited once to speak to a, environmental group in manchester vermont in the back of a bookstore and it was a it's a wonderful group they do great great work in the region it's called earth matters and they're they're like a 350.org node here um and i don't know what got into me that day i was maybe extra bitter extra tired or whatever but you know (laughs) i was telling them what we needed in the region i was saying things like well we need an aggregating company so that we can, you know, all these small farms that are competing against one another for the local market and the local dollars can actually increase production and collaborate together to feed Boston, to feed 2% of New York, you know, to feed anything else, get the, get the food out of town. Yeah. Filled in the local market, but it's, you know, we're all competing for in Bennington, maybe, 20 doctors and 20 professors those are the only folks in town who can afford to buy local food regularly and and thank god that they do but um, but we're all competing very politely often for that for those people and I said we we have to get the food out so we need an aggregating company we need to distribute this out to better markets but we need we, we need processing we need all these things and and um I'm like, if I could just raise food, sell it, and go back to raising food and didn't have to do the accounting, emailing, customer relations, marketing, um, packaging, processing, all the stuff that bogs us down, I could do, I could easily produce double, you know, and I could sell it for less actually and make more money because it would be. Fewer dollars per pound, but more profitable dollars because I was able to put down so much of my nights and weekends and harried work. Anyway, I just started spouting off, oh, spouting sweet. off. to be honest, complaining. And um, at the end of the meeting, this gentleman walks up to me from the back of the room. He was listening intently the whole time. And he walks up to me and he says, you know, there's money to do this. And I said, great. He says, no, 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 seriously, there's money to do this. If, if we think about it, there's all this money to, you know, that sh- that is slated to go to environmental projects and, and renewable energy. And he's like, if we bring in this and we do that, there's money to do this. And I was tired and I was grumpy. And I was like, great, go do that. You know, because <laughs> I, you know, we, You know, farmers hear these things all the time and, and promised all these things all the time and it never pans out. And, you know, our hearts are broken and we're skittish. And and, um, so I said, yeah, great, go do that. And he looked up at the ceiling for about, you know, three seconds. He goes, I will.
1: I am loving this conversation, but I wanted to take a quick break to thank our underwriter for this episode, the New England Grazing Network. The New England Grazing Network is funded by the Cedar Tree Foundation with the goal of gathering and growing more regenerative grazing farms across the six New England states to address the challenges and adapt to climate change. The New England Grazing Network partners offer education, technical assistance, events, regional coordination, and camaraderie for grazers to help you graze better. Visit NewEnglandGrazingNetwork.com to learn more about our work and meet the partners waiting to help you.
0: And then I never heard from them for like six months, you know, and I'm like, great. It was, it didn't, I didn't hear anything and I didn't think any, I didn't, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't think anything of it, you know. But then he reached out six eight months later something like that he goes hey do you want to meet and i said okay sure so we went back to the same bookstore and i did some quick googling of him <laughs> just before the meeting and it turns out you know he comes from the finance world um, and was had been involved in big pro big renewable energy projects around the globe um, and had quite the impressive resume. And suddenly I felt like, like a doofus for <laughs> blowing him off. But um, he says, listen, I've spent the last eight months traveling the state, talking to everybody I can get a meeting with in Vermont, in the food hubs, in the farming communities, in distribution companies. And it turns out, you know, you know what you're talking about. It does need to happen. And there's no money to do it in the state. So if I can bring in the financing, will you partner with us to to build this out? He said, I've already partnered with um, this company, Grassroots Solar in Dorset, to build out the renewable energy side of this. Will you lead up the agriculture side of this? And I said, I can't do it for free. And he laughed, you know, and, but you could see like the mindset I was coming with. I'm like, people always ask for free work, you know? And he wasn't, he was like, no, 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 no. We're going to build a company. It's going to be real. And I said, oh, <laughs> I'm in. And, <laughs> and um, so we partnered. So it was um, his company and capital, my, our farm studio Hill and grassroots solar out of Dorset were. Three-way partners in regenerative food network, and we've been at it now for almost three years. Uh, meeting, talking, designing, planning, and now we're building. And we have we we've turned on a the meat plant in Wilmington um, with USDA poultry and red meat. We bought the tannery and put that in Manchester. And now where I'm sitting now is, you know, the local headquarters. Of a building we just got occupancy granted by the town last week. And it is a um an office, half office building, but forty-five thousand square feet of what will be food processing distribution um space for South Shire Meats, but also Local farmers who want to come and and use freezers, use coolers, use cages, use dry storage, use our distribution model uh, trucks and shipping and use our certified kitchens to make products and, and use our services, our value-added services to make, you know, anything from frozen pizza to to smoked meat sticks, you know. and um, And this is kind of the aggregation point where we're building... And, and we're building a hub and spoke model where we're building abattoirs and collection points for eggs and produce out in farming regions. So the Wilmington's the first one. We're doing one up in, we're planning one up in the Meadowy Valley, north of us. We're planning one up near Rutland. We're planning one out near Brattleboro. Um, the, out in the farming regions where so that farmers don't have to travel far to drop off their goods they don't have to you know trying to eliminate the days of driving to rhode island to get your birds processed you know which is you know which is a non-starter because you can you can do it legally that way or you can do it profitably illegally you know it's like your choice is you know do it legally and hemorrhage money or do it illegally and and maybe keep the lights on both is both are terribly risky but um, and then those those collection points will be slaughterhouses but also um, you know collection points and all the food will then come down to these these um, centers Bennington being the first regenerative food centers for processing and because that's that's really what we found is the bottleneck in the region you know slaughterhouses are they're all booked out right throughout the region as you know but But the slow part is the processing. They could all double, triple capacity if they were just slaughterhouses and they were just producing carcasses, you know? And and it's the days that they need to be very carefully cutting um, according to custom, you know, custom animals, according to custom cut sheets for every, you know, sometimes down to half an animal. So they got to be slow and careful and it is not efficient and it is not profitable which is why you see so many of these going out of business or staying in business and their their turnover in the slaughterhouse is huge because it's hard work and it's not um not well respected enough i think in the in the society right now um but so our our model is centralize the processing, invest in the big machines, invest in the big laser cutting machines that can find the 16 ounce ribeye every time. Um, because I hate to say it, but what we have right now in this region is a lack of workforce. You know, we, um, it's hard to find the right. It's hard to find people period to work in, in a lot of these companies, but, um, so we need to we need to like balance job creation with automation, and we're doing that. So if we have if we're employing people out in the in the abattoirs, um, and we're bringing the food in here for more efficient processing, um, and then we can get it back to the local areas, but also down to New York and Boston from here, and and all that financing came in from out of state. You know, it all came in from um a a team of initially you know traditionally renewable energy finance companies and and then moving forward, more of a uh you know funds dedicated to regeneration um which are which are popping up a mile a minute, which is great um as public interest Grows in this because of the great work of Kiss the Ground and the biggest little farm and and you know big farms like Gabe Brown and Will Harris like these rock star farms and Joel Salatin um, and and Soul Fire Farm and all these just just rock star farms that are doing it the right way and getting the right message out there. People are wising up to this and and not just you know mortal humans but also these titans of the universe that have you know a lot of zeros in their in their in their bank accounts um I
1: think people want to be part of a solution
0: yes i
1: i think that people with a lot of zeros want to be on the right side of history and a I lot think-
0: of them a lot of them i mean <laughs> en- enough <laughs> enough certainly I, enough of them yeah I think
1: the mo- most humans want to be on the right side of history i'd like to assume that anyway um yeah. and, yeah, I love that these examples are here that are drawing a place for that energy and attention to go that we can be part of a solution. We're yeah. not twisting over, you know, well, climate change, like we're done. Like for a whole period okay. of there was a, a lot of um, climate change uh, conversation, prediction, a lot of that stuff. There were a lot of folks I would see as keynotes at a lot of our conferences. Um, in sustainable ag, where they were like, "Well, climate change," but there would never be any solutions. They'd be like, "Do you feel bad now?" Like,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And and now I I feel like there's a there are amazing directions, very positive. We can be working together. We can be pulling in the same direction, and I think people want that.
0: I think. Oh, it's. I agree, and and there are two points I want to say on that. One is a lot of what we see at studio hill is what i call hope tourism like people will come and see what we what we're doing there having no experience with regenerative ag or even ag but seeing that there's a different way and, and because our you know the house is full of literature and 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 um, ex, you know before and after pictures of what we do and all that so they learn about it and then they come out on the farm and they and they see it and then what they do is they go tell their friends. They're like, Oh my God, you have to see this place. What they're doing there is incredible. Um, and it's created this, at least for us, this, this revenue stream of hope tourism, you know, it's a, and it and it's, and it's popping up everywhere all over the world where people are seeking out examples of, um, of regeneration and it's, why I think farm stays are an integral part of this whole system, farm stays and tours and and getting people in to see it because not only do we need to change the story from we're doomed to no, we're going to create a better world, um, it is a it is a um, self-reinforcing revenue stream for farms. you know it just keeps getting better and bigger. and the I mean and to your earlier point of, so much of what we hear is not a solution. So much of what we hear is just a guilt trip. Um, that's a big problem. And that, that has been going on, you know, I, for a long time. And and it's defeating and it creates something, you know, it, I like to frame it in terms of something I learned in driver said about target fixation. You know, it's like, you know this phenomenon which has happened to me before this phenomenon where um if you're driving and a truck swerves in your lane and you see the oncoming truck every thought goes out of your head because you're panicking and you're a limited human being and, and when you are panicking and there's only one thought in your head you do the one thing you can think of right and you see that as a a. uh Unavoidable eventuality. And so what you see is drivers on the road swerving into a truck that's coming at them. And it's called target fixation. It's like there's no other way around this bang. Because they they're focusing on the truck and they can't see plenty of room to the right, plenty of room to the left, other ways to go. But you can train your way out of that. And you can say, you know, if you're if you're preparing for it, you can say, All right, I'm driving up the on-ramp onto the highway, if a truck comes in my lane, swerve, truck, swerve, truck, swerve, truck, swerve, right? And then when you see the truck, your thought is not the end end of me, you know, the thought is not truck, the thought is swerve. And then you swerve, you know, it takes some practice and some training, but you can do that. And I think that regenerative ag and these examples are giving us the swerve, they're giving us the plan B. And so when we think of climate change, we don't think of end of the world, we think of no we have to fix this into a more abundant future it's like this is the pressure that pushed the first fish out of the ocean you know what i mean can you imagine like the remember eckhart toll talks about this a little bit he's like can you imagine the pressure on that fish that that pushed it into a foreign world can you imagine how horrible it must have been for that fish in the ocean to look at the land and be like no that's better i'm gonna go there you know um and I think that like this climate change and the the collapse of so many of our ecological systems is the pressure that's going to push human evolution into a new phase, and I think that has to be the story. And I think that's why so much of, you know, what you're doing with the podcast and these bigger media pushes is so important to get that new story out there, because what what we've been told for so long on how to solve this. Um, like you know eat less meat or use less plastic or fly fewer miles or drive your car less they're great they're things we should do you know I don't agree with eat less meat anymore you should eat better meat you should eat regenerative meat sure. but, but um, yeah eat less industrial meat to be sure but um, but those aren't solutions those are stalling tactics right <laughs> because <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a great way to describe it.
0: Yeah, if, if we do all those things, let's say we just shut down, let's say we go renewable energy tomorrow and and um we stop using plastic. Those are great, but we are still at you know 440 parts per billion carbon in the atmosphere right now. We're still experiencing runaway climate change whether we stop if we stop emitting carbon today. Um, So it's just a way to (laughs) stall um, runaway climate change, slow it down a little bit until we find a solution, which is now this. Like um, there are three places on the planet earth that stores carbon, right? There's the atmosphere, uh, CO2, which is global warming, climate change, Terrible hurricanes. Um, there is the ocean as carbonic acid and plant life and organic matter, but carbonic acid, which is the acidification of the oceans and the bleaching of the of the um, reefs, and then there's this soil as organic matter. Two of those carbon sinks are maxed out, and we're feeling the effects of it. And one of them is very depleted in all the ag land. And the deserts. The solution is to repair the carbon cycles in enough of the landmass on Earth through green and growing plants, and the animals that care for those green and growing plants um, to to return that carbon down into the soil. And um, one of my heroes, Walter Jean from Healthy Soils Australia, likes to add as soon as we rebuild the soil on earth, enough of the earth, not all of the earth, but enough of the earth, which is a small, and when I say enough, he's, he's talking about like, I don't know, uh, um, the horn of Africa, right? Um, a lot of land, but not everything. And um, the water vapor in the atmosphere, which is a more potent, For greenhouse gas than carbon or methane um, it heats the planet more than those two will be held in the soil so when it rains instead of just hitting sand and evaporating out the next day it will actually be absorbed and held in the soil underground in the in aquifers and and refill the rivers and whatever but if we can get that water vapor out of the just a little bit of that water vapor out of the atmosphere by rebuilding the soil, we can in, he estimated, um, 10, 20 years, start seeing the planets cooling again. Like we would, we would see the polar ice caps regrowing. We would see the polar bears getting back their habitat. We would see fewer and fewer of these massive storms that are caused by too much heat and too much water in the atmosphere, but it all comes back down to, how we treat our agricultural soils, how we manage our conserved lands, and how we um, reverse desertification in the grasslands of Asia and Africa and Australia. And and it's possible, and we get to work, and it would be faster than we expect. Um, But so, so I guess my hope is we get this message out there enough in my generation, I don't expect to see this solved. You know, I'm 43. I'm, my back hurts. I, you know, I'm tired most nights at seven 30. Um, I'm not going to be around forever. <laughs> but my hope is that my kids get to see the polarized caps regrowing and green where there was desert. And, and I think that our goal as in our generation is to convince and prove that it's possible and inspire the next generation to get up and, and get active in it. And I I think it's happening. I think it's happening. We have, you know, despite local um, staffing shortages, we have a lot of resumes from a lot of people from around the world. Uh, like there's a stack right over there on my on my um windowsill of people. Wanting to come and work in this, in this, um, in this, uh, let's call it a movement, you know, in this, in this area, like they want to get to work solving the problems now that we have identified a solution um, that can work. And so I don't think we're gonna, it's going to be a lack of labor. I, I don't think it's going to be a lack of, I think it's a, an issue of time and just staying the course until the the the, we hit a critical mass of of labor and consciousness you know things are lining up right now there are still challenges out there you know there are people who have other ideas they want to build a technological world and you know they want to fly their rockets to mars and terraform mars and give up on the earth and I'd rather terraform earth frankly we have a lot going for us here that that, that isn't on mars right now um sheep being one of them um, but, so i'm very i'm i'm far more optimistic now than i was 10 years ago about the outcome of you know all the perils that we face today and Every year it seems to be catching more momentum and, and going in the right direction.
1: What if it all works out?
0: What if it all works out?
1: That is isn't the question. That's the question. What if it actually all works out?
0: That's right. And, and we just paint that picture. Yeah. We got to yeah. paint that picture, let people know it's possible. You know, humans are, I have faith in humanity. I'm not an anti-humanist. I believe in the thriving of nature, you know? but I don't think that means at the exclusion of humans. I understand the argument of, you know, Alan Weisman's The World Without Us paints a picture of like, if we all die tomorrow, what happens? And the answer is the world flourishes, <laughs> right? Uh, oops. Um, but um, I don't want that to be the situation. You know, I believe in humans. I believe, I have hope that we can, rise above this and we are very talented at survival if nothing else you know we are slow unarmored um running bags of meat and we somehow just were able to survive to this point where we're pretty unthreatened on the planet by nature um other than you know global pandemics and whatnot but um but we have a knack for survival and i think we'll survive this too
1: so thanks for listening. Um, I, I did consider cutting this down between these two episodes. Um, I considered cutting them down because, you know, the question is, is choosing to farm about all of this systemic stuff? Or is it about just individuals making choices every day or once or multiple times about whether they or you or I choose to farm? And, you know, there's a lot of broader issues at play in this. Um, and that has made me think a lot about, you know, where, where I am at, where, I mean, I, you know, back in my day thought that my, my starting days thought that I would uh, be a veterinarian and ended up realizing my place was actually as a farmer. And, and the longer that I'm a farmer, the more that I realize that my place is actually to, to speak for and with farmers and ranchers and um, share their stories and share their experiences with other folks, whether those folks are actively farming or ranching or not. So we have to think about these broader issues and we have to recognize that no farm exists or ranch exists in a vacuum. It doesn't. We have to think about things like processing, things about distribution, even if you are not someone who makes your living through um, direct sale. I mean, I, I recognize that, that many folks do, and that's fantastic, and we need that. But the truth is that we need all of the things. We need the folks who aggregate on a regional basis. We need the folks who um, are, are shipping into uh, larger markets. We, we need folks who are direct marketing. We need all of them. And a bunch of our infrastructure in the middle is gone and has to be rebuilt so we need those and i'm grateful for for jesse and the folks that he's working with who are trying to rebuild some of those regional systems because we need those all over the place we need them all over the country and we don't know we we don't really have them um And also, if there's someone who is listening to this podcast who is not a farmer, and I know I'm speaking to you guys, because I know that there are some folks who are regular listeners who are not farmers, but would like, you know, just want to be part of the solution that we all want to be part of. You may not want to be a farmer, but something in the conversation might prompt you being part of the solution in other ways, being part of an aggregation, being part of a processor. um, You know, there's a lot more roles to play, and we need all of us. And so you may be a person who just says, I don't want the icky stuff, which I totally get, by the way. But you might be somebody who says, I want to be part of the solution. And these are ways that I can be part of that solution without necessarily being the person who does the icky stuff or the 24 7 stuff. So anyway, I hope some of this has prompted you, you know, sparked you a little bit just to sort of think about that. Um, I, I know that our next several interviews will be a lot more personal feeling, a little bit less less systemic, but I hope that this at least gets you thinking as it, as it definitely does me too. Um, I also wanted to in- include, uh, I, I didn't keep the recording for the purposes of the podcast, um, but... I told Jesse that some of the folks who are listening to this and, and there are several of you who've written me that I just, I'm speaking to you guys. Um, I told him that, that other folks, other folks like us are listening to this podcast too. And he said, for all of you out there walking through a hayfield, I salute you and I appreciate your work. If you enjoy the podcast, um, please do jump on to choosing to farm.com and you can share it there, review there, leave comments, um, join our mailing list. If you join our mailing list, I have a really cool freebie for you. Um, And I've got some exciting things that are going to be coming in the next several weeks, and I just want to encourage folks, if you're not on um, our Choosing to Farm mailing list, uh, I would encourage you to do that um, as soon as you can, because some of these cool things that I have coming up are going to be um, offered to folks on the mailing list first, and there might even be some discounts and things like that, so if you have a lot of interest in this Choosing to Farm community and some of the things that uh, you... want to be in on some of the things that are coming our way please do get on our mailing list so thanks so much for listening and uh, we'll let Chris play us out and I hope you all have a great day